<laughs> Hello listeners and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akin Omogitan and Professor Dan Cable. In each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers and we squeeze them apart for their best bits. What's up, Dan? Wow. That was good. You'd, think, like I, you'd think I rehearsed that. Absolutely. I think you have it together. I'm... Do you ever have any early career setbacks? Man, my whole career is setbacks. Like, I was reading this study, and I was like, if ever anyone needed it, it's me. Right, right. <laughs> and now, finally, you're flourishing. I am. I mean, you're coming in your own. I feel like this is why this paper resonated with me so much, because it kind of feels like all of the failures are what brought me to the point where I am now. And I say that from a point where I barely feel like I've achieved much, but I feel like I'm living a more purposeful life, which for me is like really valuable. Let me let, let me um, tell the readers what we're going to work on here today, because I think it's, it's, it's about the title is early career setback and future career impact. And the researchers are Yang Wang, Benjamin Jones and Dashun Wang. And, um, Wow. So real, oh, we should say where as well. And it's Nature Communications. And this is a 2019. So this is fresh off the presses. Yes. This is so fresh off the presses. I'm not sure it went to press. This is hot. Yeah. I came across this study whilst reading an article by similar um, authors in the Harvard Business Review. And I was a bit like, the article itself was so interesting. That I was a bit like, I want to dive into this study. And one of the things that I noticed when I started reading the study is that it reads like investigative journalism Mm -hmm. it reads like Mm -hmm. you can see the curiosity and the questioning evolve through the paper so they start with an initial question which is along the lines of does early career setbacks uh, like have a impact on your future career and by impact it's not to say like does it matter or not but by having an early setback in your career can you be more impactful in the future yeah it's a really great question it's an age-old question because a lot of people believe in this like Matthew effect, it's called, where essentially if you have an early set of wins, the rich just get richer. And so you might have thought, many people would predict, that if you're going like for your first NSF grant or NIH grant and you're a scientist. What are those things? Just okay, be, NIH. Because I learned yeah, reading yeah, just, this. Yeah, <laughs> but so the listeners tell, are like, what's yeah, this dude what talking is this? about? <laughs> NSF is in the U.S. more, and that would be the National Science Foundation. And NIH would be National Institute of Health, I believe. And these are the groups that provide the grants for research. Correct. Huge awesome. amounts of money. Like if they give you a grant, I think the average is a million three. Man, the, some of that would go missing. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and so would you, Akin. <laughs> where's Akin? And where's the million three? Why did they leave on the same day? <laughs> Coincidence? Yes. Well, they'd have to see whether it was, what is it, causality? Or it's like... <laughs> so what happens is people apply, researchers apply for these grants. And this particular study is all about researchers who want some money to do their research. And it's very prestigious and very practical both to get these these grants. So it lets them do their work, essentially. And, and not to interrupt, but it's yeah. also important to note that these are junior researchers Brand as well. New. So this is like fresh out the gate. That's right. That's right. And I think that, um, you know, to kind of sum it up for people, you could have made the argument that those who get those initial grants are going to be way more likely to win going forward because, number one, they have the money. They can actually do the research. That's practical. But number two, they have that prestige. 
to get one of these kind of sends a signal into the world that says, we got an A star here. We have a winner. And then other people might sniff around more and you might get more publicity and maybe the press would even care. So there's all these reasons why success begets success. And what's so cool about this article is they find the opposite is true. Yes. And they found the opposite is true by looking at the individuals who just about missed out and they compared them with the individuals who just about made it. And what they found was fascinating. So one of the key things that they found is, so they measured this over time periods. And so the expectation is that the individuals who get these grants, they should perform better across a period of their career. But what they found is the individuals who just about missed out, statistically, in significant measures, they not only outperformed individuals who did get the grants, but over, I think if you give them between five and 10 years, they actually catch up with the people who thrived. So when we're talking about the people who just about missed out and the people who just about made it, there's groups that are, exist outside of that. And part of the group that you could focus on is the ones who, who clearly were granted their grants. So it's like, we can clearly see that you're ready, you're intelligent enough, you're capable enough, your, your scores are high enough here's loads of money. But if you give the people who just about missed out enough time, they even catch up to that's that right. group as well. I think that's well. really exciting and mysterious a little bit. Mm. And they didn't fully solve the mystery. We'll talk more about that a little yeah. bit later. But like what, what Akin is getting at here, which is actually really exciting, is you kind of think about um, a scoring sheet or like a grading sheet where they submit these proposals like, hey, here's what I want to study. How do you like this? And some people are just no-brainers or, you know, you go home a slam dunk. You read it and you're like, oh, my God, the world needs that. Here, take $5 million. Just go and do it, please. And other ones were clearly no. You know, they'd be like an F. It's like, that's just a dumb idea. It's like you've wasted not only you've your time <laughs> but everyone else's. Yeah, I, and I can't get that time back you know and so so those aren't that interesting what's interesting is the payoff they call it the payoff line we're like right above it like a b plus gets the million three and like a b plus minus a half doesn't so you just like if you're talking about percentages um maybe like an 82 on this and gets you payout an 81 doesn't you're talking about a photo finish yes it is it's a photo finish that's a perfect analogy here talking about a photo finish somebody knows somebody else out but god to say they're not qualified is demeaning because really they're the same it's random almost and i think that that's what for me is really exciting about this study it's almost like a naturally occurring experiment you could never assign people into these conditions like you be one that just loses randomly and then you're assigned to one that wins yeah you'd never be able to do that But in this study, what they're looking at is like a real life simulation of what it would be like if you simulated like you're now a loser and I'm now a winner, even though we're the same. Yeah. And I think that's what's so exciting about it. And the process that the authors have gone through, it reminds me of the Man on the Moon episode that we did. So in the Man on the Moon episode that we did, I can't remember which number it was. However, what happens in that is that a an author discovers a bunch of data which is qualitative and quantitative and then starts digging through it looking for answers and their approach here is quite similar where what they come to realize is that there's a bunch of data that exists that they can measure and then they can probe that to see what difference does it make if you just about miss early in your career or if you just about make it as well yeah that's right and i think that another thing is you mentioned that's so cool about this study is 
they not only have the data on who doesn't doesn't get this cash, then they can track them over the next 10 years. Yes. And I think that by having those outcome variables, and those are real-life variables, it's how did your career unfold? And one of the very first things that happened is a load of the people that didn't get the award quit. That I found fascinating as well. It's this kind of, um, I don't want to call it separating the wheat from the chaff, but I'm going to call it separating the wheat from the chaff. Something like that went on where there was a self-selection mechanism that of the, okay, put it this way. If you got the money, you're going nowhere. Like you think you're a winner, you're in your career, you just got a million three for years of research. You're not going to quit that. I mean, you're like a big winner, right? It gets tricky if you just missed it. And now all of a sudden, you're not really paying the bills. You're wondering how you're going to do your research. If you don't want it pretty bad, and if you're, I don't know if you use the word intellect or your your, ideal, your ideation, if, if that's not really strong for you at that moment, you might think about a different career. This reminds me of, so when I started doing stand-up comedy, when I started performing, one of the things that I found out is that the comedy store in London, they do a night called King Gong. Now, the idea behind King Gong, the idea behind this show is that comics go there and they have to survive five minutes without being booed off. So let me just heighten the expectations here slightly as well. Not only do you have to survive five minutes without being booed off, the capacity at the comedy store is around 400 people and it gets packed. That's a lot of booing. That's a lot of booing. Not only does it get packed, the MCs, so the people who host, the compares there, they are, one of their jobs is to prime the audience to separate the wheat from the chaff. They're like, you've not come here to be kind and enjoy yourself. If you don't like someone, get them them out of here. Because what they do is they give three random audience members a uh, a white card. Mm. And if all three of those cards go up, you get out. But the compare tells the audience, don't just let those three decide. Because if we hear enough booing, we will override their decision. We will hit that gong and they get the hell out of here. Were you there? I've done it. I've done it once. How far did you make it? I lasted four minutes and 20 seconds. And when that wave of booze hit me, it was like cold water. It was like being at the edge of a beach when a tsunami hits. And not only are you at the edge of the beach, you're not trying to run to save your life. You stand there and you just have to let it wash over you. What, What happened, interesting, this was within my first year of doing stand-up that same night there was another comedian who had started recently and before he even hit the stage he wasn't fat he was a bit portly but before he even hit the stage the obscenities that started ringing out he lasted i think about it it wasn't more than 30 seconds and as soon as he came off the stage he grabbed his bag he left i've been doing comedy now for nearly four years i have never seen him at a gig again Mm -hmm. Like never. Yeah, it was just too much. I've never seen him. I stayed yes. for the whole night yes. and watched the whole show yeah. knowing I didn't win. Yeah. But he left yeah. and I've never seen him again on stage. You, like the scientists, were right near that line. Yeah. Because if you think of that, if you're at 420, yes. you're up into that cash payout zone. You know, you're, you're right at that tipping point. And what you felt, see, it's actually an interesting thing you just brought up, I, I think. When you are easily booed off, like if you submit the grant and you get an F and it's their way of saying, please don't waste our time again, you really have a reason to think about moving on. When you almost get it, but don't, it's like them saying your quality level is nearly good enough. 
Not yet. And for the person that says, not yet, I'm taking my bag and leaving, you know, maybe the grit wasn't there. But for somebody that says, ooh, that just motivates me to work harder. My ideas are great. I just need to somehow push harder. I need to be communicating more clearly. I need to be pushing the variables a little bit more cleanly. I think uh, that could be the the flint that starts the fire that burns slowly over the next decade. Mm, and it did because not only have I performed at King Gong at the comedy store – I've also performed multiple times at the Blackout, which is a, a similar night, but it's hosted at Up the Creek in Greenwich. And I think the capacity of that room is about 200 people. And the first time I tried it, didn't make five minutes. Mm -hmm. Second time I tried it, didn't make five minutes. Now, what's different about the Blackout at Up the Creek is when people put a card up, a light goes up, a red light as well. So once you get three wow, red lights, wow. you're out of here. Yeah. And on my third attempt, not only did I last five minutes, I lasted five minutes with zero lights as wow. well. And I felt like, man, I felt so glad, not just because I'd completed mm -hmm. it. I felt glad because I had failed so many times before I completed it. Yeah. And that's what made yeah. me feel yeah. like I had grown and you I had developed. It. Yes. Yeah, man. I don't think now's the time. But as I was reading this article... I got all these insights around helicopter parents. Helicopter parents are those that basically don't let their kids experience any failure because they'll clear all the hurdles. They'll just make it really easy for their kids to succeed through money, through schools, through friendships. They, they sort of like do their homework for them. And so essentially there's a whole way of dealing with children. And maybe it's time immemorial, but it seems like now more than ever where Many parents are essentially not giving kids a chance to have setbacks and therefore they never get the savor, that feeling that you're describing right now. It's this rich emotion of pride. And I don't mean that arrogant type of pride of like, I'm with you. I'm fabulous and everyone should know it. It's more this kind of pride that I did something good and the flush of energy that I have is to do even better next time. That, that's what the, the word pride means as an emotion. And uh, I just find it more than compelling. I find it fascinating that many parents rob their children of that feeling because they don't want them to have the setback. Yeah. I, so while reading this, I found out that the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I found out whilst reading this, that that was actually a, a Nietzsche quote. How about that? Yeah. And you know what killed him? Pneumonia. <laughs> so some, <laughs> something got him in the end. <laughs> but what I found fascinating is that one of the closing lines in this study is the precondition of becoming stronger is to not be killed in the first place. So this idea is that, like you're saying, Dan, you don't want to remove all of those roadblocks, but you don't want to put them purposely in place to break someone down so you so people need to be operating in a state if you're doing something in life you need to be operating a state where it's challenging you to the point where it's improving you as a person but it's not so challenging that you feel incompetent as an individual yeah. and i imagine for a lot of children who grow up with this helicopter style of parenting they're imbued with a false sense of pride or a false sense of competence. And then when they enter the, in quote marks, real world, 
and no one's there to remove those roadblocks for them, I imagine that for them, the real experience of life must be a lot more challenging than for others who have maybe grown up, grown up, uh, grown up possibly poor. Uh, maybe they weren't the most um, academic or maybe they weren't the most kind of like sporting, but have had to overcome something where they can find something within themselves that they're proud of and that encourages them to work harder. That's it. And I, I don't know if this is right. But one of the things that this study made me think about, in a second, I think maybe we'll talk about the sample and give people a little bit more, I think, guts of the study. The guts of this study are really refined. And I think that probably if I was a listener, I'd want to know a little bit more about what they did. But maybe we can come back to this idea. Sometimes I wonder if that feeling of pride and the subsequent motivation to really even do more isn't possible without the setbacks. I, what I mean by that is, you know, if you have a kid and you sort of get them in all the right schools and you pay off the schools to get them in there, the way that, that whole thing just happened recently. And then like once they're there, you like help them with their homework and you pay off the professors and you sort of like push them and, you know, and then they, so they get through that. And so it just works. And then they come out of a good school with good grades. And so they get a good job and, you know, push, 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 push. And, and they just are fine. Let's even say that they never experience that real life setback, but everything just works fine. I wonder if they end up with an age, and I don't know if that's 30 or 40 or 60, where they just kind of realize that they didn't really live their life. Well, I think it was Aristotle. It was, is it with Aristotle or Socrates? The two of them said a bunch of stuff. I think it was Aristotle who said, an unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. You should be doing things in life that cause you to self-reflect. You should be, do, if you, if you achieve everything, there's not really that much to look back on because yeah. it just always works. Yeah. So you don't, but if you fail at something, you yeah. now need to look back and yeah. be like, at what point did I lose it? Yeah. And then you can start thinking what can I do differently the next time and I also believe that it's those failures that give us stories to tell like the movie Rocky is amazing the movie Rocky works because you're focused on a bum a failure someone who's had either he's had his shots he's missed his shots he didn't get his shots but now he's finished he's over the hill he's washed up he is done the movie works because you follow his rise to achievement And I believe that what we want to see in life is we want to see the people at the top fall because that's entertaining. Like we want to see the fall of the people at the top. Yeah, that's entertaining. What's just as entertaining is the underdog rising. And if we always are in a position where, like if you have the people who just about missed out and now all they do is envy the people who just about Mm. made it or the people Mm. who clearly made it, what they're doing is that they're they're losing their opportunity to grow in a way that makes them stronger. I'm going to... Let's introduce this study. I have so many thoughts about that. <laughs> I have so many thoughts about that exactly. Let me let me introduce this study because I feel like... We Whoa, have we not introduced it? Well, a little bit. <laughs> Listen, here's the sample. I'll say it this way. Sample is you got these NIH, National Institute of Health, grant applications between 1990 and 2005, and then they then looked at the research outputs of the principal investigators. This was all focused on these principal investigators who kind of like led the charge of these grants. In total, there were 561 narrow wins. That means that that 
just barely got it. Like you ought to just feel lucky because you just as easily could have been a loss. And 623 near misses. And it's around this pay line. I love the phrase pay line. And I just love how in life that's how it often works. You could call it an arbitrary line. But then there's winners and there's losers. And, you know, who gets third, who gets the bronze in the Olympic is just as good as who is fourth. And yet someone's standing on that platform. And I think that that is just so cool to think about that. Now, they then did as they said, we're going to call you a subsequent winner, like um, a high-impact person, regardless of whether or not you got this money. We're then going to look to see whether or not you were like a killer researcher by looking at these hit papers. And um, you said that when you first read this, the word hit paper, that kind of like chipped you up. Why don't you say I just, why? <laughs> I just found it comical because I guess as someone who's curious about the science, but I've not, I've not experienced that world the way that you have. So for me, I chuckled a bit at this, this idea that you can have a hit paper. Yes. The same way like an artist might have a hit single, a hit album, uh, yeah. actors might like have Like Van Gogh had that hit sunflower yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 he had a hit. <laughs> Like, that was a good one. Yeah. And it was just so fascinating to me that within the world of these research papers, in that yes. in that sphere, yeah. there are people who are rock stars. There are people who have produced hits. Yes. And one way to think of it that they thought of it is, say you had a year where hundreds of thousands of articles were published. Well, five of those, 5% of those would get the most citations. Citations means that other scientists look at what you did and then use it in their own research. So it's actually a very direct index or measure of impact. That's It's great that you bring that up and not to derail your point. Please hold on to it, Dan. But in previous episodes, I always mention about how long these articles are and how many pages of references there are at the end as well. So those references, all of those names that are listed are people who they have inspired or influenced the current study that we're reading. So when we talk about citations, I believe that it's that list of references are the individuals who have conducted prominent work in that area where it's like i can't really proceed without giving credit to these individuals who laid the work before me yeah and if you're a scientist those citations are extremely meaningful they're valuable not in a financial way but there's this phrase that says citations become the frozen footprints of scientific progress it means that once you've made your impact in science and people start using your work it's there forever It's frozen in because everything that builds subsequent to that uses what you did. And so, um, it's, it's, it's meaningful, not only in the sense that statistically it's a way to say which were the most high impact. If you're one of the people that is having that high impact, it gives you sort of the buzz of science. Yeah. It's that social prestige that you get. And with that in mind, Dan, what did we then find out through this study about the near misses and the, uh, near wins. That's it. Well, there's a couple of things, but here's the coolest first thing they found. Um, about 13% of the papers published by the narrow win group turned out to be a hit. So what that means is um, if it's the top 5% of all citations, it turns out that the people that got the bit of money did way better than average. Yes. You know, they kicked ass. Yeah. So about three times more 
um, hits than would have predicted by random, which means whoever's picking these people and whoever's sitting on that board and judging and saying these are the winners and these are losers, they have some skill at identifying yes. what is going to be a future hit and, and so on. And that 13 point something, 13.3%, yeah. that's the near wins. That's it. And that's impressive already. So the near wins... That's impressive. And, and I, then what did we find out about the, uh, the near, the near misses? And this is the part, this is like sort of like where the rubber hits the road. What you would expect is what the near misses at the minimum would be lower. At the minimum, you might have said 10% or something like that, which still, by the way, would be way above the average. Okay. What it was was six, little over 16%, statistically, significantly, substantially higher than those that got the early money, that got the early prestige, that got that early recognition. And so it kind of bowls you over a little bit. It, it, you really could have predicted it going the other way. And then I love how you called it an investigative reporting because then the rest of the article, they put that out quite early. Yes. And then the rest of the article is trying to destroy that result. Yes. I love that. I, I found it because it's thorough. Yes. They use the yes. word robust. And I think that's a great word yes. because what they do, which I think is very much in line of critical thinking, is if you're thinking critically, you're given a piece of information and someone who thinks critically is like, how do I now begin to scrutinize that? So they discovered, so what they're scrutinizing here is their own work. So it's like they're trying to, that phrase, don't bite the hand that feeds you. It's like they are the hand that feeds themselves and they're biting their own hands yeah. to be a bit like, no, we want to really question this and pull it apart and figure out what is happening here. It's wonderful. And, and part of what's happening here um, that you probably don't really care that much about, but you know that blind reviewers are going to read your work and then criticize it. I don't mean that they're blind physiologically. I mean, they don't know who you are and they're just reading your work as an objective piece of science and you know they're going to rip it apart. So it actually behooves you to go on and rip it apart first. Rip it apart like yourself. Before you even send it in, you just go through every possible way of insulting the work and you just do it to yourself first. And I think that what's so cool, as an example, just to kind of give listeners one tiny bit of this, they found that the near misses outperformed the narrow wins. Okay, great. By 21%, by the way. But then they said, well, maybe that's only in the first five years, which is what they found. So then they said, well, what about in like the second five years, like the six to 10 window found the same gap again? And then what if it's the case that we, um, not looked at top 5% as like a hit paper, but the top 1% and they found it again? What if we looked at it as like the top 10% and then they found it again? And, I mean, my gosh, it was page after page of like, what if it was this? Okay, what if it's that? And what? And by the time you're done with it, at least the way it read to me, you're so thoroughly convinced that the phenomenon is there. You, you, you basically are sure that this is what's happening in the real world. I still wasn't sure we got a handle on why. Well, they, they never told us why, but they say that part of it is the reason why they can't say why is because what could be causing it is unobservable. Unobservable? Unobservable. You You can't see it. You can't see it. Like, you can't see it, you can't measure it. And there's certain things that you necessarily can't see or measure, and those things include effort, grit, um, determination. So there's there's factors. And I find this fascinating, and I I hate playing the race card. And usually everything that I say is anti the race card. Mm-hmm. What I find fascinating about this study is that it is empowering. 
what it is saying is forget about what everyone else is doing. Forget about whose dad owned the company and that's why they became CEO. Forget about nepotism. Forget about favoritism. Forget about who's more intelligent. Forget about who's stronger. How hard are you ready to work? And some of you are going to have to work harder. Mm -hmm. If you're racing against uh, Usain Bolt, you're going to have to work that bit harder. You have to. You can't now say it's not fair because he's taller, faster. It's a race. He's trying to be the fastest. And you need to then decide how hard am I ready to work so that I can get gold, that I can get silver, that I can get bronze. And it's that you then forget about saying, what does everyone else do? Who else got... And this is what I believe the near misses. This is what separates them. Because some people just about missed and then they just decided, you know what? It's just... They just quit. They disappeared. Within 10 years... Uh, I think it was like about 12% of the near misses within 10 years, they disappeared completely from that field. 11%. They disappeared completely from that field. It's it's like the the guy that you saw that got left off stage. Yeah. I did this study once um, where we looked to see how to get a job in a business school as a professor. And uh, it was basically a way of navel gazing. It was like, me and another PhD student at the time gathered all this data on everybody that year trying to get a job as a business school professor. And we coded all their data. And the really cool thing about it was we looked at contest mobility, which is do you get ahead because it's a fair, raw contest where somebody just does more? Or is it sponsored mobility, which means there are certain things about you that early on get you sponsored, like you went to a really prestigious school, or you worked with a chairperson that was very prestigious. It's not you, by the way. It's just you associated yourselves with people that like sponsored you through life. And so we, cr- we created this horse race, and what we found is, much like what they did, it was a contest mobility situation where the people that got the best jobs didn't necessarily go to the best schools, but they had the most research it wasn't that they had a chairperson that was famous. It's that they created research that was becoming cited. And so I'm not going to say it's always that way in life, but at least in that study, which was published, whatever, in the Academy of Management Journal, it was much more of a management paper. It showed similar effects of what you're seeing here, that those early signals, they certainly help you. It's certainly not the case that having that early sponsorship that will always open doors. But over 10 years, you also have to prove your mettle. That once totally. the door is open, yeah. you've got to knock it down some more. And you have to show that you've got this innate quality, drive, uh, and ability. And that raises two points. And I'll probably forget one of them guaranteed. So I'm going to start with the one that links with what you're saying. One of the other things that they looked at in this study is if you're, if you are performing research, very often this, this is done in teams. So one of the theories that they had is that people who just about missed out, maybe they were associating themselves with brighter individuals. So basically piggybacking. So if you had someone who clearly succeeded, you could be like, hey, would you like to collaborate? So what they did is they only included the hit papers where the lead author was a near miss or a near win. So they were able to isolate who was actually, I guess, doing the work. And the other thing, which I was confident that I was going to forget, and I'm pretty sure I have, so I'm, I'm going to sling back to you. Yes, and yes, if I remember yes. it, I'm going to interrupt you immediately. Well, I want to talk about this one analysis they did that really charmed me. What they basically did was they acted as though the worst people that got the near win did leave. 
Okay. So what they were trying to do is basically create a matched sample of the people that had a near miss and had a near win. So the near misses, a bunch of them quit. They said, well, what if we kind of even that up by taking the near wins that were the lowest, worst people? Like, even though they won, they were the worst people. So they literally got rid of them, and they showed that even still, those near misses were the ones that dominated in the long run. So it's almost like having that near miss injected extra motivation as long as they stuck around. I think it's really, really an interesting phenomenon. Oh man, we're like we're we're, we're past the half. Man, I could I know, like I could I do another half an hour on this. I got some uh, some some comments from people who listen in. One of the comments that I got was, "This is too short." Mm. They're like, once we start getting into it, they're like, "Yo, man, are you going? You got, are you guys going to make it longer?" What I would say to the listeners, if you're if you're listening and you enjoy it and you do find out, or you you are finding it a bit short. Just keep sharing it because partly why we opted for half an hour is because we, we kind of considered like what the average commute time was and also how attractive it would be for new listeners. So if someone recommends it, it's like an hour long. You might be like, I ain't really got time to listen to these two dudes for one hour when like I've already got like 90 podcasts I still listen to and haven't caught up on. I've got Netflix. I've got this new album. So we were like, okay, let's hit for the the half an hour mark. But what I would say, if you're, if you're enjoying this, keep sharing it because the the listenership is growing. And as it grows, we're just going to start taking liberties, man. And by those liberties, it's going to mean that we might start thinking maybe this needs to be 45 minutes. Maybe it needs to be an hour. I also love the idea. I don't know that all of our readers, listeners will like this, but I love the idea that this this is an actual piece of science that's in the public domain. So anybody that really wants to know more, we scratch the surface of these things. So if you really want to see the other hundreds of things that they did, and they're all very interesting, you can go check out this in Nature Communications and just see literally what they did. And I think that that's one of the things I love about doing the show with you, actually, is you know it, we are having a great time and we are having a laugh, but it is about science. And that's the squeezing yeah. the orange. We try yeah. to just get that best bits out for you. Yeah. If you've only got 30 minutes, here's the answers. Totally. Oh, any, any closing remarks, Dan? I'm going to go try to find a failure. <laughs> I tell you what, that said, um, I think it was 2017. So around the time that I was really trying to like change my life up, I'm pretty sure it was 2017. My New Year's resolution for 2017 was to make more mistakes than I'd ever made. Wow. I was like, the only way that I'm going to grow is if I'm putting myself in situations that challenge me and there's a risk of failure. And I came out of that year a lot stronger. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. And I'll give you one. Um, I came over here in 2007, quick little sabbatical, teach a class and so on, and um, went into the class and kind of got booed off the stage a little bit. Not with the literal boos, but yeah. after the, there were 10 classes and after the second one, they stopped me. And they said... Wait, um, who stopped you? The, the students. The students, okay. Yeah, they, they were really senior executives. It was called the Sloan program here. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, so they're very oh, senior Oh, they're folks. super senior. They're super senior. And they stopped me and they said, we're going to have you it's stop kind of now. like the, uh, the hospice exactly. of executive <laughs> education. <laughs> Get this, though. This is really meaningful and important. They said, we're going to have you stand down now. We're not going to have you teach anymore because you're not adding anything to our conversation. And I said, well, can you give me a hint? Like, because back in the United States, you know, I was seen as kind of a star teacher. I was all right or whatever. And they said, um, yeah, you're just using a lot of examples that seem like too American. And we're from all over the world. 
you know, like a lot of things that you're saying about like how to deal with incentives, like that's illegal. You're not allowed to do that in France. Like you, we can't have that kind of – anyway, it was really interesting because while that was a bitter pill, it was a real punch in the stomach and I had to really go back and lick my wounds. What I was able to do was go back in there and ask them, okay, there are certain things that I know about psychology and about workplaces and so on. How could I add value to your conversation? Mm. And that was the beginning of me moving to London because – what I learned from that failure and the sort of bruise on the nose that I took and the humility that it then takes to say, what don't I know is what leads to like 2.0. So I think that a lot of us have experienced these reboots of self that come out of what appear to be disasters in the moment. When, when you're going through it, it feels a lot like failure. But then you come out knowing that that was one of the best things that has ever happened to you. So I think that many of us can identify with what these people articulated with data. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to go grab some we're coffee off. and we're going to continue this conversation. But thank you very much for rocking with us, listeners. If you are on iTunes, just drop us a five-star review. It helps in terms of our visibility. If you like what you hear, uh, share it on like your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your Facebook, your WhatsApp. Um, and yeah, let's like get the world out. Get the world out there. Yeah, get the let's get the, out there. Yeah, let's get the world out there. Yeah, let's ride with our mistakes and just continue and learn from them. You guys are dope. Thank you very much for rocking with us. Look, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture Yo, his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. He's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and.